We are in a series called Living Lessons, and we're studying characters of the Bible. And by now, I hope that you've realized that despite the fact that our subjects of study have long been dead, and they come from the pages of the Scripture, they literally do leap into our lives as though they were as applicable today as they were in the times past. The lessons, the wrestling with faith, the things that happen to them are just as relevant today. And specifically with our character today, I want to talk about one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas. And you probably think of him as doubting Thomas, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit. I'd like to talk about how he came to be known doubting Thomas and what we might learn from that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I want to look at three little incidents in the life of Thomas. Then I'd like to explore this idea of doubt in a modern setting. Well, as our first story opens in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples shortly before the crucifixion. And he's, a matter of fact, it's a beautiful passage. I want to talk about what happens at the end, but let me start reading in chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. One of the most beautiful promises in Scripture, by the way. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now watch, there's an interesting little twist on this. You know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Interesting little play. Thomas understands it, as would I have at the time. Well, we don't actually know the route. We don't actually know the way. And Jesus said, you actually do, Thomas. I am the way. It's not something I'm going to point you toward. It's a relationship with me. You know, Thomas, uh, this is one of the two incidents that get Thomas that kind of doubting, questioning persona. But let's be honest, probably everybody else was wondering the same thing. Thomas is just the one who asked. Do you know people like that? Or maybe you are one of those people that everyone's wondering, but no one will speak up. And maybe you're the one that'll say, well, I don't know what anybody else thinks, but I have a question. Well, that's Thomas, and that's what he's doing here. Some think he was cynical, some would say pessimistic, others would say a, a realist. All I know from this is Thomas was likely an engineer or an accountant in the sense that he was kind of literal and he wasn't afraid to ask the question. The second place is over in John chapter 20 and let's go there now and then we'll talk about this idea of doubt a little bit. In John chapter 20, you'll see uh, the real situation that gives us this idea of Thomas as the doubting Thomas, the one who has to be convinced. In chapter 20, Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. The disciples are meeting, and they uh, are kind of despairing a little bit. I mean, they don't really understand about the resurrection. And as our story opens in chapter 20, verse 19, it says this, On the evening of the first day of the week, that's Sunday night, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, at that time, the Jews are crucified. The Jesus has been crucified by the Romans at the instigation of the Jewish leaders, and they thought, now's the time to stamp out 
this heresy, this new faith. And so they're there with the doors locked. I like to think of it as the first small group session. So they were there together that Sunday evening with the doors locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed. One of the great understatements of scripture, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let me skip to verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which in Greek means twin, so we think of Thomas as being a twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He missed small group that night. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He's raised from the dead, literally, Thomas. Now I don't know if you would have believed them or not, because that's a pretty incredible claim, but Thomas doesn't. See what he says. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them, made small group that night. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now stop doubting and believe. And Thomas does. He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, Thomas, you believe. But blessed or happy or fortunate are those who have not seen and yet they believe. By the way, I've always loved that verse because that verse is about you and me. Jesus said, blessed are we because even though we have not touched those hands, we believe. We have faith. Well, as you can see, Thomas uh, is one of those guys that, whether because he was cynical or whether because he was discouraged, he said, I won't believe unless I see this. And it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't really rebuke him for it. He just says, Thomas, then come, touch and see. In other words, I will show you. I'll give you what you need. Well, I don't know what it is that makes you doubt. And in fact, in your discussion time, I'd really like you to take a little time and talk about this. What about Christianity has caused you the most doubt in the past? What about Christianity has caused you the most doubt in the past? And you know what? It's not uncommon for us to have a number of things we'd write down and say, you know, actually, I still wrestle with this sometimes. And I want to tell you, that's okay. It's okay because doubt and faith are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes we think that. We think, well, you know, if I doubt, if I question, if I'm just not sure, that must mean I have no faith. I think Thomas's case and our own experience tells us that's not really the case. Doubt and faith exist together. In fact, I'm gonna give you an example because you actually find doubt and faith existing together, not just in a religious sense. This is very normal in our lives. Recently for me, I've had some uh, interaction with the medical community. Someone in my family has been ill and uh, kind of been watching the treatment and uh, this person has been a little skeptical about, wait, I don't know if I want to take that medicine. Are you sure that's really going to help me? And you know, they were doubting whether or not it would work. And to be fair, there've been times when I've thought, well, I trust my doctors, but you know, I, I kind of wonder, is this really going to fix the problem? Is this really going to help me? And you know, at the same time, 
that we have trust and oftentimes we'll take the medicine like, you know, I'm not sure, but I trust you and let's see, you know, if this makes me whole. We do that a lot. It's not uncommon for us not to be 100% confident and yet we still have trust, don't we? My point is simply this. It's not uncommon for us to have some doubts and to have trust also at the same time. Now, it's important for us to address those doubts. The longer we let them fester, the worse it gets. I mean, let's face it, we have to decide whether to take the medicine or not. We must address our doubts. But I want you to understand, if nothing else out of this lesson, it's not a sin to have doubts. It's very common for our faith and our doubts to coexist. Well, let me move on because I want to talk about one other thing uh, in Thomas before you get to your discussion because I want you to learn a couple things from Thomas, but then let's talk about how does that play itself out in our lives. One more passage in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 7. Now, this is a little earlier than the two passages that we looked at, but this is an indication into Thomas's character. Chapter 11, verse 7, and the history of this is that Jesus uh, has heard that Lazarus is sick in Bethany. Jesus knows he's going to die. And so they have left the area of Jerusalem because the Jews had just tried to kill Jesus. And so they leave, he escapes from there, they go into the desert. Then he gets word that Lazarus, who lives in a suburb of Jerusalem, is dying. And so chapter 11, verse 7, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Let me rephrase that. You're not going back there, are you? Makes no sense to them. It's like, you know, they almost killed you, and they probably would kill us, and we can't go back there. Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble. He sees the light. In other words, he says, my time is short. You don't understand this, but we're going to go do the works that God has set for me. And one great work, which you and I know, is waiting for him in Bethany with the resurrection of Lazarus. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they said, oh, that's good. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. He died. Kind of like we use euphemisms, like someone has passed away or passed on. They use the word, they've gone to sleep. I mean, that's just how they spoke of death. And he was, so he's very plain. He said, Lazarus is dead. Then Thomas, verse 16, said to the rest of the disciples, well, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now, that's a very interesting thing he says. On the one hand, you could think of him being fairly cynical about this, just kind of a, you know, well, let's go with him because we're just all going to die. You know, you can see him being an Eeyore. Well, let's go. We're all going to die together. But you can also understand this, and this is interesting because scholars exactly how to take this. You could also take it quite literally and say, you know what? If he's going to go back there, we're probably all going to die, but I'm not going to let him die alone. In other words, guys, yeah, we're probably going to die. And if I'd been with him, I would have thought the same thing, but I'm not letting him die alone. And you know, I lean toward the second part. I think there is some of that, you know, kind of Eeyore personality. I just think that's partly who Thomas is. But here's why I think really the second, because he goes. In other words, no matter what his attitude is, he says, let's go with him so we may die. And even if you think that's cynical, my point is, but he went. He 
thought they were going to die, and he went anyway. I really think there's a lot of that. You know what? If Jesus is going to die, I'm going to be with him. You see the commitment, the loyalty there, the trust? This is the Thomas who in just a few short chapters is going to have these, well, unless I see it, I won't believe it. So he's got doubts, but at the same time, that's incredible commitment. That's incredible loyalty. And that's the lesson I'd like us to bring to our own struggles with doubt, is that incredible commitment and trust can exist with less than 100% certainty all the time. I'm not telling you that you have to have doubts or that you always will have doubts. I'm just saying doubt and faith, doubt and incredible commitment can coexist. The key is, and the lessons would be, first of all, don't panic. When we have doubts, it's not the end of our commitment. It's not the end of our faith. It is if we nurse those doubts. It is if we don't address those doubts. Come, let us reason together, the Lord says. Let's dive into the Word together. But it doesn't have to be the end of our faith. We don't reject anything else because we doubt one thing. We don't stop going to the doctor because we're not sure everything they tell us is exactly right. Well, of course not. Same is true here. Incredible commitment can coexist with, uh, I wrestle with some things. We can recall past evidence of God's trustworthiness and apply that to the future. So I'd like for you to take some time in your discussion and talk about what are the things that you have doubted before? What are some of the things that we can agree on and say, yeah, you know, I've, I've wrestled with that some too. And then let's explore this relationship between our doubt and our faith. Because the one thing I know is that doubt left unanswered, unpursued, tends to fester. Doubt that's held up to the light of history, to the light of reason, to the light of the Word, we work through it and our commitment deepens. Take some time now and let's take the lesson of Thomas, what I think is an encouraging lesson, and let's apply it to our own Thomas moments in our lives.